The future of 800,000 immigrants rests in the hands of a divided Congress. Lawmakers face deadlines to take action. So what's our job? Our job is to monitor the progress of potential DACA legislation as the deadlines come closer, while diving deeper into the issues of deferred deportation and illegal immigration. You're listening to an In Focus special report podcast, Deadline DACA. I'm Andrew Nicola. And I'm Adrian St. Clair. Welcome to the show. In our reporting so far, we've heard a lot from people who support some sort of DREAM Act or DACA legislation. Right. Throughout our time here, we've been to several rallies over the past two months that have focused on urging lawmakers to work toward a clean DREAM Act. DREAMers have held press conferences, met with congressmen, marched all over Capitol Hill, and, as we mentioned last episode, they filled the Hart Senate office building atrium. But rallies in the streets of Washington against DACA or a DREAM Act? Not so much. Right. Thinking back, the only anti-DACA event I can think of was back in September when we went to the Mother of All rallies, which didn't turn out to be the Mother of All rallies. They expected a million people. Only about 400 people showed up. And at this most recent pro-DACA event we went to last week, had over a thousand attendees. And at the Mother of All rallies, immigration was just one of the topics they addressed. Arizona resident and rally attendee Tani Gonzalez spoke out against the DACA program. You know, um, I'm a Hispanic American and I stand for no DACA and no amnesty. They have had long enough to assimilate and to become a citizen. And because they haven't, it's time to go. The American taxpayers can no longer afford to support illegals who are crime ridden. That's what they want to do. And it's not fair to the American taxpayer. In this episode, we hear from the people we haven't heard much from yet. People who, like Tani, don't support DACA. Teresa Cardinal-Brown, the Director of Immigration and Cross-Border Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center, gave two possible reasons that people may oppose the DACA program. And just as a reminder, we're talking about the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program enacted by President Barack Obama in 2012. Some of the opposition to that came simply because it was done by the executive branch without Congress. So it wasn't really about the policy per se, but that uh, many felt that immigration policy is something that should be made and done by Congress. And the fact that Congress hadn't done something uh, was essentially an expression of Congress's will to not do something. And the president should not have gone around that to do something administratively. That's something that Arizona Republican Congressman Paul Gosar mentioned when I spoke with him last week. First of all, Congress never passed a uh, DACA-related application. President Obama, through his attorney general and the Department of Justice, violated uh, the Anti-Deficiency Act by taking money that was supposed to be used for the upholding of laws that are legally passed, which DACA is not, uh, and they violated that. You can probably guess the other reason Brown said people don't support DACA. Then I think there are some people who didn't support the program because they don't support legalization programs. They believe that if people here are undocumented, they should be removed. Gosar said that DACA recipients are still here illegally. These were individuals that came to this country not on their own fruition. Their parents were the lawbreakers. And so uh, it's still an illegal entry. We are a country of laws. We have the ability to be a sovereign entity to enforce laws. We can say, yes, we'll take a million people or we'll take zero people. And it's up to us to enforce those applications. It's not something crazy. So does that mean that DACA opponents want to kick all the DACA recipients out of the U.S.? Not necessarily. In fact, even the most strident opponents to DACA want to provide some sort of provision to allow DREAMers to stay or more easily come back. 
I spoke with a man who made his name on his illegal immigration position. Former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio was convicted of being in contempt of court because he refused to stop practices that led to racial profiling of immigrants. He escaped punishment when he was pardoned by President Donald Trump in September. Arpaio would send dreamers packing, but not for good. My position is a complete position. It's not where I said, kick them all out and that's and close the door. I didn't say that. I said, I said, go, go to their country and come back the legal way and help them come back the legal way. He recommended a sort of study abroad for lack of a better term, solution for dreamers. Instead of making them all stay here, give them all amnesty, use the other system that I'm talking about. I mean, if it takes six months, you mean they can't survive for six months in a foreign country? We got kids that go in foreign countries, the Peace Corps and others, and the uh, people doing missions. They survive for a year or two, I'm sure. These kids will be able to survive. I think they would enjoy, uh, I mean, I'm not talking about running a travel agency, uh, but I think they would enjoy going back to the country that they came from. Gosar, another outspoken opponent of DACA, offers his own solution for dreamers that allows them to stay. The individuals under DACA um, should have the ability to do what they call a a long-term visitor process where they have additional years where they can actually stay. They have to check in every year. This is a program that was uh, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, They have to check in with their post office. They have to show that they have no misdemeanors or or, uh, felonies, that they have a job, and that they have validation and people, uh, citizens, actually validating for them. Tom Javits, Vice President of Immigration Policy at the Center for American Progress, sees those two solutions as evidence of bipartisan support for something. And it is telling that even even they would want to find ways to possibly jump through some hoops to avoid saying that at the end of the day they, they, they think it's appropriate for these young people to be forced to leave the country that they know um, and return to a place that they may have never seen themselves at all. Brown talked about how there's fairly widespread support for providing dreamers some sort of legal status. This is a group of people who came as children, um, who are many believe were not responsible for their actions in coming illegally, and they have been raised here as Americans. They speak English as well or better than many of us. Uh, they have been raised in our school system. They believe themselves to be Americans, but for the fact that they came undocumented. But there are some things that Gosar and others like him can't get on board with. But to, to allow them to have amnesty, to allow their them uh, to bring in the lawbreakers who are their parents through chain migration is not right. For Gosar, it's a matter of following the rule of law. So you allow these these individuals to, to get citizenship. You just violated those millions of people standing in line trying to do it the right way. What makes their plight better than those people that are trying to do it the right way? Their violation of the law. But amnesty and chain migration are two of the key issues where major proponents of the DREAM Act won't budge either. That doesn't make sense to Gosar. I've got people in my own delegation that still don't figure, haven't figured out the Gadsden Purchase, for Christ's sakes. You know, we're not part of Mexico. You don't have a right to come here and there and go wherever you want to. There are a series of laws, and that's what made us great. One member of the Arizona delegation is Democrat Raul Grijalva, who has been threatening to hold the budget hostage since just after Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced the six-month phase-out of the DACA program. I was at an event a few weeks ago with Grijalva and Illinois Democrat Representative Luis Gutierrez. We want a clean dream act. We want you to 
meet that pending commitment that you made, not only to Democrats, but to the Dreamers themselves and those organizations. And by doing so, we are prepared to work on a budget that extends not only just the, the hard right positions, but extends what is fundamentally what the American people want in a budget. But for us, it's the DREAM Act. If they can do it without our support, pass a budget, more power to them. It was an earlier interview with Grijalva that inspired the idea for this podcast. Gutierrez has also been vocal about holding Democratic votes on a budget in return for a clean DREAM Act. We want a clean DREAM Act. That is what it's going to take to get me and others to sign on to vote for a budget. Now, the Republicans, you'll say, they don't need you, Luis. They're already 240 plus strong. Only need 218 votes. I'm just saying, if you need me, if you don't find the votes, you know where you can find people that will be reliable and working with you so that we can get to eight, 218 votes. With these two sides holding fast to their positions, who's going to blink first? I think both sides right now are trying to gauge how much leverage they have over the other side. Brown talked about how, in addition to the concerns we just mentioned, Republicans also generally want more interior enforcement and also need to fund the government. And Democrats continue to insist on a Clean Dream Act. And the answer is neither side really knows exactly how much leverage they have until push comes to shove and they're at the deadline. So right now you still have a lot of people, I'd say, trying to position themselves to keep the maximum leverage on the other side. She also mentioned that divides within the Republican Party are making a solution difficult as well. So that kind of inhibits, even when they control the House and the Senate and the presidency, their ability to push forward really strong enforcement legislation. Exactly. Not all Republicans think like Gosar. But even if they did, Javits, who worked on the House Judiciary Committee's Immigration Subcommittee when the original DACA executive order was enacted, said that Gosar and Arpaio's solutions aren't workable. I mean, I, you know, if you ask people whether or not there is any particular social good that comes out of asking, uh, you know, a kid who was brought here at the age of two and who's been educated throughout our, our educational system and is now a sophomore in college to leave the country for six months in order to somehow process and come back in again, they'd say, well, why? Well, what, what's, the, what's the point? Um, and similarly for Gosar, the, the idea that um, you sort of try and enforce a fiction and treat someone who, for all intents and purposes, was, was, was raised in this country and is American in everything but name um, as a visitor um, is just pure nonsense. We reported on a previous episode that there are Republicans, like Lindsey Graham, who sponsor the DREAM Act, a key piece of DACA legislation. And I attended a meeting just this month with 15 House Republicans, including Florida Representative Carlos Cubello, who called for those in both parties to compromise to get a deal done. Javits actually also mentioned this meeting. Um, I was very encouraged uh, just about a week or so ago that Representative Dan Newhouse from Washington, a Republican, organized a big press conference with, with maybe 15, 16 uh, Republicans who stood up and called for a vote on the bill before the end of the year. Uh, I stand with all of these colleagues to say we reject the all or none approach and uh, we know there are members uh, of this house who are saying uh, it has to be either this way or we do nothing. We reject that. We reject that because we think there is a compromise out there that can secure the future for all of these wonderful young people and that can also keep our country safe and make sure 
uh, that uh, we have border integrity and border security. So we've talked about why there's a stalemate, but what is there to do about it? Congress is still facing a deadline. At some point, they have to come together and they have to make a deal because neither side can get what they want without the other. But literally, like, they have to do so much. So how possible is it that they're going to make the deadline? Well, I always say, having worked in Washington for a very long time, that when it comes to Congress, failure is always an option. We hope that's not the case because failure in this case means not just not providing something for the DACA kids and the Dreamers, but it means shutting down the government, right? So... There's a lot to be done. Brown, who directed a task force that developed a bipartisan roadmap for DACA, as she called it, said she believes something can get done as long as Congress is willing to compromise. And essentially what we said is, look, if everybody is willing to make a deal, a fairly narrow but uh, bipartisan deal can be made that would link legalization for DREAMers with increases in certain parts of border security. It didn't necessarily have to be a wall, but it might include infrastructure and technology and additional personnel. That we think that there would be enough support on both sides of the aisle for a deal that included those major components. But compromise is easier said than done in Washington. We also cautioned that if either side tried to add more things to it or tried to pull for more things, that might cause the whole thing to fail, in part because we have a time frame we're dealing with. We have a a deadline, and Congress works well with deadlines. That tends to push it to act, but when it has deadlines, it probably can't do anything too big. Brown said the key is keeping the deal narrow and focused. And that was the reason why those 15 Republicans were there at the news conference. What I would ask uh, all of our colleagues, the important thing to do is, and look, I'm, I'm for finding a way to resolve the issue of the 11 million today. I, I, I would vote for that solution today, but I think we need to focus on who it is we need to most uh, immediately help. And there are about 800,000 young people who are at risk of losing something, uh, a protection, which is their lives essentially, for, for most of these young people, and they're at risk. We also have to be realistic. What's achievable given the dynamics here in the Congress and how expansive do we want to be? The more expansive we get, the less likely it is that something will happen. So we're on our second to last episode. And as we've said, the clock is ticking. The the clock is the enemy right now, um, that they're running out of time to get everything done that they want to be done. And the list includes more than just DACA. It will have to include you know, hurricane and disaster recovery funding. It will include defense spending caps and domestic spending caps, reauthorization of these programs, whatever happens on tax. It's going to include a lot of things, frankly, because Congress has pushed off everything to the end of the year. Uh, we have a deadline coming up on December 8th. If Congress does not pass legislation uh, to appropriate funds for the government, uh, then then uh, come December 9th, we're going to have a, a, you know, a full or, or partial government shutdown. Brown said she's optimistic that lawmakers understand that time is running out. They're understanding that there's a timeline here, that they have to get this done. And if they wait too long, uh, one, either side might lose leverage in the conversation. They don't want to do that. And two, that it is affecting real people. And if they don't, Brown and her team at the Bipartisan Policy Center have been in meetings on Capitol Hill 
trying to explain that to lawmakers. Um, We have made clear that they don't have till March 5th. People are already losing their status and the government can't turn around and flip a switch and, and start a program up within days after Congress passes legislation. So if they really want to take care of this population, they're going to have to do it soon. Jowitz agreed that Congress must act quickly. Unlike what the president said, you know, the president, although he said that he was going to give Congress six months to solve this problem, actually, there are about 22,000 individuals who were not able to renew their DACA by the October 5th deadline that the president gave. And so as a result of that, there are about 122 people every single day, about 851 every single week, who are already now losing uh, their DACA. The reason why there really is a focus on fighting for this today and trying to get Congress take action as soon as possible is that every single day they delay is another day that you have, uh, you know, more than 100 DACA recipients losing protection. Brown says she's seen progress. I do think they understand that. Um, and so we are seeing serious conversations. Like I said, they're not quite ready to settle on the deal, but there are a lot of serious conversations happening. We've got one episode left. And as always, the clock is ticking on deadline DACA. We're just, you know, really a couple of weeks away from the moment when this has to go down. We're looking at three or four weeks till the end of this year, and the government's got to be funded. So stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) The music in this episode is by Roddy Nickpour. Special thanks to Cronkite News and Arizona PBS. And a very special thanks to our patient editor, Steve Crane. 